All right, well, Merry Christmas to you all, and it is so um, nice to worship together and on this special day. Um, some of you are invited by friends here, um, and so we want to welcome you. Some of you are here because of the baptisms or the kids. It's okay, you know, um, I'm still going to give them a sermon, and uh, but we're just excited you're here and would love to um, have you come out and, uh, uh, you know, get to know our church, um, get to know what the faith is and all that. So... Anyways, I want to welcome you, so make sure you stick around. Um, you know, uh, this passage, if you grew up in the church, you've read this a million times. And it's, um, it's uh, on a lot of Christmas cards, it'll have these four names of Jesus, uh, the son that is to be born, and what that means and the significance. You know, the names have meanings. And um, I like what uh, Tim shared about how they named their children with some meaning. Um, it's almost kind of rare now, right? Because today we kind of name our kids. Um, you know, we, we come up with a list. We might go look up a list online um, and then look up names. And then we try to figure out all the, all the bad people in our past that had those names. So we got to ex- eliminate all those. Oh, that's your ex-boyfriend. We can't name our son after ex Well, that's your dad's name. We can't do that. And we, we, we go through and we come up with like the two names that are neutral. And then we pick one and they get a name, right? And it just ends up becoming their name. Um, but in, in the days, in the biblical days, the name had so much more. It defined them. It helped them to live to that purpose. It, it talks, showed their past and what was to come. And we see that happening. Um, you know, in our day and age, people will sometimes name themselves after they're born um, to try to live by that. Ironic uh, is that uh, Ron Artest, right? You remember Ron Artest on the Lakers? Remember the guy when he had, was on the Pacers and he ran up at Detroit Pistons and he went to try to kill one of the, like two of the fans? And it was like the worst fight in NBA history. Um, he changed his name to Meta World Peace, right? Like, so his, but he hasn't fought since then. He should have named himself Meta World Peace from day one, um, right? But he hasn't fought. Uh, the, the, Martin Luther King Jr. that we know so well, his father, Michael King Sr., was a pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church. And way back in the 30s, he visited Germany to go study the Reformation. And he had studied the life of Martin Luther, the reformer. And he was so impressed by him that the senior, Michael King Sr., changes his own name to Martin Luther King Sr. And he changes his little boy's name, who had been called Michael for years. And he changes his name to Martin Luther King Jr. And uh, it's almost as if the name that he was living up to it, it was almost prophetic, right? And we see that at times. And here, there are four names of Jesus that are spelled out. And I want to run through that with us this morning as we think about Christmas. Um, before I jump into that, this is what, just a little backdrop, a little history lesson. Just give me a minute. Israel has become divided, right? And it's the northern and southern The southern kingdom, once they're divided after Solomon, the southern kingdom is called Judah, and the northern kingdom is called Israel. So it could get a little confusing because it used to all be called Israel. But now it's a divided kingdom. It's Israel and Judah. And um, they were strong during the days of David and Solomon, and they had prosperity. And now as a divided kingdom, they are becoming weak. And the neighbors are becoming strong. And one of the neighbors around them that is growing and taking over every small city and nation around them is a a nation called Assyria. 
And Assyria is gaining strength. And so the northern kingdom, they were supposed to stay faithful just to God as the people of God. Um, They basically sell out and they now uh, get connected with Syria, a pagan nation. And they say, let's do this together. We'll become stronger. And so they now compromise their faith to gain that strength. Now, the southern kingdom, which Isaiah is preaching to, the southern people are saying, what are we going to do? And you can imagine the political pressure on the king when everyone's saying, look, the northern kingdom did this. We should do this. And disobeying God who has said, I will be here with you, just stay by yourself. They go and sell out to Assyria now. And now they are doomed. Assyria is going to take them over. They're going to be living in war. They're going to be owned by other people. And it's in the midst of this that Isaiah comes. 700 years before the birth of Christ. And he makes a pronouncement of what is to come. And he says, you who are living in this situation, you are going to find now that your hope will come through the birth of a son. A son who will be born 700 years later. And we see his names now, right? The four names, let's go through this. The first name that we see is that he is called Wonderful Counselor. The word wonderful uh, is really a wonderful word. It's a word that means um, it's too good to be described by words, right? It's awesome. It's, it's, it leaves you speechless. And he's described as a counselor, wonderful counselor. The counselor guides us, right? And this is what the son will do. He will guide us. The counselor guides us. Um, this term for counselor that's mentioned here is a term that's used to describe the advisors of the king. The king would have counselors, And he would go to the counselors and he would ask them for advice. Should I do this? Should I do that? And they would give him information and advice. And so counselor is not the idea. Some of us have an idea of a counselor as someone that goes and listens to you. You're sitting on a sofa and they listen to you and um, help you in that way. No, the idea of a counselor is someone that gives you concrete advice on how to live, what you should do. And now for people who don't have a leader, of people who are lost, what they want is a counselor, someone to give them advice. Now, we have to just heed advice. We get advice. Some of you over the years have gotten great advice. Some of you have gotten bad advice. Some of you are old enough to now give advice. And sometimes, you know, you give good advice. And sometimes you might not give the best advice, you know. And, but it's very important that we accept advice. Now, we, today, we get directions from everyone. We get directions from like Google Maps, right, gives us directions. Go this way. And some of us, especially the men here, some of us are so um, prideful, right, when it comes to directions and driving. Like, you know, like I type it in. I'm like, come on, Google. You, you know, I, I know a better way than this, right? And we sometimes argue with that. And one of the things I do is I always try to race Google Maps. Like they say, you will arrive at Stonegate at 1047, like, Come on, I could beat this. And I would beat it by like two minutes. And I'm always bragging to my wife, Sharon, look, Google said, you know, 47, 43. Look at that. You know, three minutes. Who do they think they're talking to? We are so prideful in that way. But here is a call for the people of God to sit and listen, to take advice, counsel. And how wonderful it is that we have a God who gives us counsel through his word. The second thing, the second name that's given to this baby that is to be born is mighty God. The word mighty is used to describe a warrior, 
It's used to describe someone who is strong in war. And so what we get here is not just anyone, uh, but the mighty God. This points to the deity of Christ, the eternality of Christ, that he is eternal. He is God himself. And many who, um, who you know, um, are outside of the Orthodox faith, of the Christian faith, they say, oh, Jesus was created, or um, he wasn't all God, and even the Jehovah's Witnesses have problems with passages like this, so they say, well, he wasn't the almighty God, he was just like, like an almighty God, and they, they run problems into passages like this. So it's a picture of the baby who was born, and yet he is mighty God. He is fighting for you. He is fighting for you. Some of us, we have fears. Um, Friday night, that, right, that SpaceX shot a rocket in the sky. I pulled over and I stopped. And I was, I was like, what is that? And some of you saw that. Some of you saw my Facebook post. I was so enamored. I was like, what is that? And then as I was looking at my daughters, we're all looking and they're asking me. And I'm like, I don't know, you know. And um, uh, these kids, I see these little like, um, like maybe 10-year-old kids are on a bike. They're running home screaming. And they're actually afraid. They're like, oh, my gosh, oh, my gosh. And the kid in the back who's causing all the fear is yelling, oh, my gosh, the North Koreans are killing us. And then they're running down the street. And then he looks at me. And then I think he got more scared. Um, uh, and I was like, quiet, you know. Um, and he just ran home. And, uh, but the idea that God is fighting for us, he is stronger. Um, you look at the world today, you look at the, uh, uh, the lives that were lost at the hands of other people, we see that, man, this is demonic, satanic. And yet here, we might fear that. Some of you with kids might fear the future. But here is someone who fights for you, who is greater than that. This Lord Jesus Christ is, fights for you. He is almighty. It's nice to have someone who will fight for you who is capable of winning. Right? It's nice to have someone who will now speak up for you in this way. I had a friend when I was growing up and he was kind of like uh, the, he liked to fight, you know? Uh, I never liked to fight. I just acted like it around him to gain his respect. I never actually fought. I fought once. He fought a lot. And so I think he knew that. And um, I remember once someone um, wanted to fight me because they thought I cut in line and I was like, I didn't cut in line. And they're like, yeah, you cut in line. And then my friend comes running in and um, starts fighting this guy, right? And I was so entertained and I was watching. And, um, you know, yeah, like, yeah, don't mess with me. And I was kind of behind him. Um, but the idea, man, that God is fighting for me. God is looking out for me. Um, what a picture of his power that we see. The, the third one that... Uh, Right, that we see here, the third name that's given to him that we see is he's called the everlasting father. Now, this doesn't mean that the second person of the Trinity becomes the first. This, this is not what it's saying. This term, everlasting father, is a relational title. It's a relational name. That means that he is our everlasting father. His covenant with us is not dependent on us. He is with us forever. And that is comforting. Religion says, you better do your best. You better be on your best behavior. Maybe the gods will accept you. And Christianity says, he accepts us 
as we are. We can't do anything to run away from him. He loves us in this way. A father's love um, that is demonstrated through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a story about a young lady. She was 21 years old and she had posted something on her Instagram account. Picture of a letter and flowers she had received from her father. Her father had passed away when she was 16. Bailey Sellers from Tennessee. When she was 16 years old, her father, uh, Michael Sellers, had passed away um, with, from cancer. A few months later, at her 17th birthday, she gets a surprise. She gets a bouquet of flowers delivered to her from dad. Happy birthday. Dad had set this up. And on her 17th birthday, when she had gotten this letter, it had, it had said, um, you will receive flowers from me until you become a woman at age 21. And she, almost, she always dreaded her 21st birthday because that would be her last. So this past year was her 21st birthday, and she receives her final bouquet. And she gets this long handwritten letter from her father. saying, this is your last one. And, and the young lady describes her father as someone who... Um, they didn't have a lot of money. He would literally eat just crackers sometimes to save money to buy her things and was so devoted and there. And uh, one of the things that he wrote on the letter was this, I want you to always respect your mama and stay true to yourself. Be happy and live life to the fullest. I will still be with you through every milestone. Just look around and there I will be. The beauty of this, the desire of this, the desire of the child wanting the love of the father. Um, I will be with you. And we look to our heavenly father today and our God is not someone who is far, far away. Um, our God is not someone who is fickle in his relationship with us. I might leave you, I might not. I might give you something, I might not. We might go to him and say, God, where are you? Where have you been? What have you done? And we might even utter prayers of complaints as the psalmists do, but he says, I still love you. You don't understand, but I'm here for you. And when the son is born, he is going to be the everlasting father. He is going to be with us. And this past year and the years before, a lot of us have lost loved ones. We have lost our own parents as we are getting older and we deal with a life in that sense. And the picture that we have is someone who is going to be with us. And I hope that comforts you. I hope that covenant, this idea of God is with you and he initiates and he will fulfill it, will bring joy and peace to you. And the last name he has given, the Prince of Peace, the Prince of Shalom, the word peace that's used here, it's not just the absence of fighting and war, but it's a sense of restoration, sense of wholeness. Things that were broken are brought back together. And he says, he's the prince of peace. He gives us peace. Now remember, in Isaiah's day, as he is preaching to the southern kingdom, they're on the verge. They, they say it's darkness, right? And chapter 8 at the end is, describes their land as being covered with darkness. They're looking for light in the darkness because... Now the enemy is taking them over. And none of us have really lived in war. Um, I know the only ones that might have experienced it are, are um, those who served our country, um, who are here with us. And you went and saw some of these things. And we're so grateful for you. But you think about this. Um, what it's like to live through war. Uh, there was an article in, the, uh, in Time magazine. And they 
The reporter went to uh, Aleppo um, a year and a half ago during their war in Syria. And some of the things that he highlighted, some of the little things that we don't think about in war, saying how food prices were hiked up. A bag of rice was now $14. Uh, a bag of sugar was $20. A jug of olive oil was $44. How are these people going to buy any of this? Right? Um, the whole city still had 300,000 people, and they had a total of 35 doctors. Many of them were foreigners coming in to help. 35 doctors. Not only that, um, the hospitals would be just a basement of a building they thought was safe. And they would lay out some one hospital, 40 cots, and they would bring people in after each bombing. And the doctors had the um, horrible task of trying to say who they're going to help and who has to leave, even though they're hurting. And so a lot of people, when they're sick, when their children are hurt, they wouldn't even go look for the doctors. And this is how life is in war. Um, you go to a typical home, uh, it would be probably five or six families. Many of them uh, fatherless or motherless and the neighbors and the local people would bring them all in and they would live there. Five or six families in a one, two bedroom little place. And then after a few days, they would all move because it wasn't safe here. Rumors would spread that the bombing is gonna happen on this side and they would have to move. And the reporter describes how these kids would go. And this was a typical day. They'd wake up and watch a little bit of what news that, that would come out on TV. And then they would all have to go and fetch water for the family. And these little boys would go and try to find water. And they would bring it back in whatever container that was possible. And he closes the story with this, a little boy who had a, a, a bucket, a small bucket and he's taking it and it's too heavy and he drops the water on his way home and he's sitting there crying. He has no more water. This water is in the dirt. And that is life in war. And now they're looking forward to the king that is to come. The prince of peace. There will be no more war. There'll be no more pain and crying. They look forward to that. And today as we sit here, in our freedom, with our wealth and all that we have, um, we have to understand the backdrop of this to see the need of this. They were looking forward 700 years for a baby that was to be born. We're on the other side of history. We get to see all the prophecies fulfilled and we look at the birth of Christ as we look back and he is all of these things to us. He is the wonderful counselor for us. He is mighty God. No one is mightier than him. He is our everlasting father. He'll never leave us nor forsake us. And he's our prince of peace. And whatever wars we personally are going through, he is our ultimate source of peace. And so we celebrate. I hope your Christmas, quote unquote, Merry Christmas, will come from the truth of who Jesus is. Not anything else, but we take a moment this sacred morning and remember who he is and may that grant you a Merry Christmas this year. Let's pray if you would bow your heads with me. Lord, we thank you. We celebrate this day uh, with our beloved church friends and, and their friends and God, we remember who you are and what that means for us. 
So we thank you. And God, um, uh, we ask that you would give us that sense of peace and a Merry Christmas that comes in you. We thank you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.